Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, her favorite shoe shop is Charles and Keith, Leanne Hughes. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 32 of the podcast. Wherever you're listening in from and whatever your stage in facilitation, it's just so great that you're taking the time out to invest in your skills. And I say whatever stage of your facilitator journey you're in because I just can't assume that you're all first-time facilitators. And I want to say good day to Megan Watt from Wisconsin. Now, Megan is a leadership coach and senior training officer, and she's been facilitating for over 15 years. She reached out to say that the solo episodes are awesome and to keep those coming. So thanks, Megan, and this one's for you. Today's episode is all about co-facilitating. In episode 24, you will have heard that Sean Lavin and I developed and delivered a half-day team workshop together. And I'm also co-hosting a three-day conference, the We Are Podcast Conference in Brisbane on 18th to 20th of October. So I've been thinking about co-facilitating a lot and especially wondering how to do it more effectively, particularly if you need to develop the actual content together as well. If you're handed something off the shelf to deliver, it's a lot easier to co-facilitate, but doing both the development and delivery sometimes can be a little bit tricky. On recent episodes, I've been promoting a facilitator type uh, Facebook group where we can all hop on in and share our favorite activities, lessons learnt, great videos, etc. That is on its way, probably more towards early October at this stage, so please stay posted. If you'd like to reach out, ask for tips, please feel free to email me, hello at firsttimefacilitator.com, tweet me at Leanne Hughes or find me on Instagram at firsttimefacilitator. Or you can sign up for updates by joining the flip chart, which you can find on my website. Show notes for this episode are at firsttimefacilitator.com slash episode 32. Now onto the show. Back in 2013, I was chatting to my colleague and friend, Bonnie Robinson. Now back then, Bonnie worked in business development for North Regional TAFE and she was approached by the local shire. They wanted someone to run some workshops for their employees on topics like presentation skills and how to handle difficult situations. Now, at the TAFE, we had a ton of experienced lecturers in horticulture, aquaculture, English as a second language and trades, but none of them really specialised in the corporate type of soft skills that the shy was after. So Bonnie dropped over and asked if I knew anyone that could deliver this type of training. Now, at the time, I wasn't employed as a trainer or lecturer. In fact, I was in a workforce development role. But Bonnie and I had always had great chats about these kind of topics and all the time. Um, In her previous role, Bonnie was a manager for performance and management at Murdoch University. uh, And she just generally kills it when it comes to this sort of stuff. Plus, look, on a side note, congrats, Bonnie, on your new job. How is this for a job title? Uh, She is now the Associate Director for Organisational Development and Culture at Murdoch University. Back to the story. Uh, So, yeah, back then, both of us had never facilitated to anyone externally. Um, But I turned to her and said, look, come on, Bonnie, we don't need to fly anyone external up from Perth to do this. I mean, you and I know the stuff like the back of our hands. I reckon we can facilitate it together. And yes, we did freak out and we were unsure, but we worked diligently together to prepare and deliver two great workshops over four hours for the Shire. And when I mean diligently, I mean 
every day. We were researching cool activities, articles and theories and emailing them to each other, staying in touch pretty frequently. On the day of the workshop, we were there like two hours prior setting up and testing technology. Ah, the life of a first-time facilitator. Now, when the workshop was done, we visited the Mangrove Hotel and spent our time debriefing the experience over a nice bottle of wine. So yes, co-facilitating is a great way to get your experience. And from time to time, depending on where you are on your journey as a facilitator, you may be equals in your journey, like Bonnie and I were, or you may be paired with someone with more or less experience than you. They say that a problem shared is a problem halved. And look, I think there is some truth to that. It was really great to have someone to bounce ideas off and share those nerves. And it's definitely more fun being up at the front of the room with someone else rather than solo. Um, But I'm not too sure if the problem is halved all of the time. I think there's an assumption there that if you're co-facilitating, your workload will essentially be less. There'll be less prep because, hey, there's, there's two of you. The reason I say this, it's not halved, is because the second someone else is in the picture, you need to start communicating more, set boundaries and assign very clear accountabilities. You also need to realise that the process that you like and use may not work out the second there's a fellow facilitator in the picture. For example, my workshop design process isn't too pretty. Um, it was actually funny reading my Strengths Finder report recently, and under my activator theme, uh, which is number four for me, this sentence really spoke um, and really rang true. It says, at work, make sure that your manager judges you on measurable outcomes rather than your process. Your process is not always pretty. Very true. Uh, sometimes even the day before I'm running a workshop, I'm still out there looking for inspiration. Often I'll find an incredible idea and replace what I've already written um, the day before. I continue to iterate what I'm doing pretty much up to the point of delivering it, which, if you're co-facilitating with me, is something that may just drive you crazy, right? The second you're co-facilitating, you can't really make those last-minute amendments. So how do you then manage expectations and have a process that works for everyone. I'm going to break my ideas down into three stages. The first is a tool process I use to design workshop material, which is called the instructional design map. Number two, setting the accountability. And part three, systems that you and your co-facilitator can use to communicate like champions. Okay, let's explore the first one, a tool and process I use to design workshop material. I've said it before, but my first job out of university was working for Accenture as an instructional designer. Now, when it came to creating any type of training activity, whether it be an online course, facilitator-led, blended delivery, we had a core document. That document was called the Instructional Design Map, or ID Map for short. The ID map is a really simple document. It's a table in landscape mode with several different column headings. Now, look, there are tons of different versions of ID maps online, and you can search online for templates if you want to go down this path and and work with my process. I keep my ID map uh, pretty basic as it's a high-level document. 
And I use the following column headings from left to right. Column one, learning objective. Two, content. Three, slide number. Four, activity slash resources. Five, facilitator. Six, duration. The key to the ID map is to first decide on your learning objectives. If you have them already, perfect. If not, well, this may be the first accountability you need to discuss with your co-facilitator, who will be taking the lead on this and chatting to your client. I'll give you a quick overview of learning objectives because they are so critical. They underpin the way you create a course, the activities you choose, and the time that you dedicate to different models and different modules in your workshop. I don't know about you, but when I do get a request from a client about running a workshop, they usually, you know, set up a meeting or give me a call and say something along the lines of, oh, we need a team building workshop or we just want to communicate better. What can you do for us, Leanne? As you're aware, these are very broad topics. Therefore, it's your duty to use your questions to dig in and get more clarity on what they're really after. When you're writing your learning objectives, write them in a way that makes sense to end this sentence. At the end of this workshop, you'll be able to dot, 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 or at the end of this workshop, you will have the skills and knowledge to dot, dot, dot. So if you use this format to write your learning objectives, then you'll find that your objectives usually start with a verb. So for the communication request, it could be, um, one learning objective could be outline the preferred method of communication of all team members. That example is a rational learning objective. But there's also something called experiential objectives, which I won't go into too much detail, but definitely will in a future episode. Uh, Experiential objectives are all about the type of experience that your client wants in your workshop. So do they want their team feeling all warm and fuzzy or to have fun or to simply reflect or to leave motivated? Knowing the experiential objective helps you and your co-facilitator when it comes to figuring out the right type of activity to incorporate into your workshop build. Okay, so after this interview process and working with your co-facilitator, you'll have some pretty robust learning objectives, I hope. Let's just say you've got four or five of them, write them down. Then, with your co-facilitator, assign a percentage against them. The percentage against each learning objective helps you both prioritise. So your first learning objective, which is outline the preferred method of communication of all team members. The client may have said this is an outcome that's, you know, fairly important. So you might assign about, let's say, a third of your time in the workshop on that topic alone. A third of the time? Okay, cool. Write 30% against that objective. Work down your list for the other four objectives and assign percentages so the sum of all learning objectives is, you guessed it, 100%. You may find that you'll, you know, you might start iterating and juggling the percentages around until you're both happy. What this really does is help you and your co-facilitator decide the shape of the session. The learning objectives are your true north, your guiding light. Once you've assigned percentages, then have a think about your allocated time. So if you're running a four-hour workshop, then 30% against learning objective one is approximately one hour and 20 minutes. Then you can start using your ID map with your co-facilitator to start plotting objectives, the time allocated, and what that time actually means. So if I see one hour, 20 minutes allocated, 
then I think you're going to have to put an activity or several discussions in there. It just can't be an hour 20 over pure lecture style and theory. Once you start plotting this, you can really see the map taking shape. And this is where we get to part two, setting the accountability. In terms of setting accountabilities with your co-facilitators, I really like the divide and conquer mentality along with frequent check-ins. So you divvy up the work, but you keep in touch often to ensure that you're both linking in together. And that's easy to do if you have the ID map as your base. So with your co-facilitator, go through your ID map row by row. For example, your first row of your ID map could be simply um, an introduction row, welcoming everyone, creating a safe environment, setting the context. And given priorities through your percentage work, you've assigned 20 minutes to that segment. Facilitator one might volunteer for that part. So they're in charge of creating that content, bringing it into the next time that you meet. The second row is our first learning objective, outline preferred modes of communication. Facilitator two might take ownership of that segment. So what you then continue to do is work down the rows of your ID map to assign accountability. Now, when you're doing this, I suggest you discuss what topic each of you are excited or interested about the most and allocate modules that way. And hopefully there won't be too many arguments over who gets their favourite module. Then once you've assigned those modules, what you're then doing is effectively halving your development time. You'd hope that for a four-hour workshop, each of you have been assigned two hours worth of content to go back home and research and write up. That whole uh, fleshing out the, the content part is all about going off, um, bringing suggested activities, resources, videos, etc., and ideas back to your next catch-up. So then when you do have your next catch-up, you can see how to link all of your content together or if certain activities need to change. For example, if you're both doing flip chart or post-it note activities, well, someone's going to have to change theirs. Once you start fleshing this out and locking content down, what will come out is a series of tasks that you'll need to perform to ensure that you're ready. And if you don't have admin or coordinator help, um, which I'm sure many of us don't, you'll need to assign these tasks to each other. You know, someone will need to create the slides or merge them into one PowerPoint. Someone will need to order the flip chart paper, print worksheets, order catering, print name tags, get your videos onto USB, check in with the client. I mean, this is all sounding like a lot of work right now, isn't it? So how can you make life easier for you and your co-facilitator? This leads on to part three, systems that you and your co-facilitator can use to communicate like champions. You may find it useful if I share some tools that I've used in the past to make this process more efficient and easier for everyone involved. Okay, so when it comes to setting up your ID map, set it up in a cloud-based document tool. If you're not using Office 365 Word, um, which I guess it seems like a lot of companies are now adopting, then definitely start using Google Docs to write your ID map. You and your co-facilitator can edit this together in real time and you don't have to email each other documents every time you've made an update and find that someone is working with an older version, which, as we know, is just not fun. You can prevent that. Get Google Docs. It's free. No excuses. Now, all those little annoying tasks that you brainstormed, which, as I said, are little and annoying, but have a huge impact if they're not done. 
All those tasks like printing off name tags, bringing the USB, contacting the client, you can capture all of those by writing them into Asana. That's A-S-A-N-A. Asana is a web and mobile application designed to help teams organize, track and manage their work. I'll link to it in the show notes because it's amazing. And again, it's free. You log into Asana and click to create a new project, add your co-facilitator as a collaborator. Then you write down all of those tasks. You can also add descriptors against them if you need, including links such as a link to your ID map, which you've stored in Google Docs, right? (laughs) Your next step is then to work with your co-facilitator to assign them and put a deadline against them. What's really cool about Asana is that it holds both of you to account. So a reminder is generated when something is due that day. But you can also set um, these reminders and customise them for when they're sent through. When you've completed a task, you tick it off the list, which A, it feels good to do, and B, your co-facilitator is notified that you're keeping up to your side of the bargain, or alternatively, um, if you've dropped the ball. So it's really simple and super effective If you try it and you like it, I'd love to hear from you, so let me know. If you're also frequently discussing content and on the road or traveling internationally, WhatsApp is pretty handy. I like that you can see if the person you're writing to has read your message. Plus, again, it's free. So those are the three tools I can recommend to foster better collaboration with you and your co-facilitator. At a high level, uh, that's the process that I've worked through with co-facilitators in the past and looking to continue and tweak to get better in future. I would love to hear how you've worked the process. And if there are any other hacks that you could recommend to our listeners, please get in touch. Oh, and while signing off, the other app you need on your phone after a long day of facilitating is Uber Eats, of course. So you can order your food and schedule it so it's delivered as soon as you walk through your front door. No time is lost, you get a rewarding feed, you can put your feet up and give your past self a pat on the back for being so onto it. Okay, thanks for listening this week and we'll be back to interviews next Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the First Time Facilitator podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to keep up to date with all the episodes, make it easy for yourself and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. Leave a review in iTunes. Um, Every bit helps. Thanks again and speak to you all next Monday.